Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is ForceLegacy.html, and we're covering the Clone Wars. Ooh. So, we've talked about the Gendi Clone Wars, and we talked about the two episodes that have retroactively been put earlier in canon. But today, we're going to take a look at the Clone Wars theatrical release, which was a repackaging of the first four episodes into a single unit. I remember being very confused when this came out and this was released in theaters. I didn't understand if this was going to be related to the upcoming animated series, already knowing it wasn't really related to the previous one. It was it was a little confusing to me. I don't disagree. I know that it was part of what pushed me off, whether it was not necessarily that Star Wars was my biggest thing at the time, or it was like, oh, now they're doing animated movies that go between other things? What's that about? Like, it just, it didn't make sense to me at the time as a fan, but looking back, I can see that they were trying to stir up interests, and that makes a lot of sense. Trying to pull people in by making it a film, an official thing, that reads very Star Wars. And it was a thing. It was a big deal. It was big fan headlines, that's for sure. I think the thing that sets this series off so much from the Gendi is that this introduces Ahsoka, and there's no question that it makes it a totally different narrative. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to getting to know this character. There are a lot of really big fan-favorite characters that exist outside of the main film narrative, and Ahsoka is definitely one of the biggest. But for all of the things that make this different than previous Star Wars entries, there are a lot of familiar things to be had. I actually felt like, oh man, I was pulled into the film right away by the opening. I thought it was a really cool dramatic introduction. It was a very Star Wars opening fight sequence. The war elements kind of really balanced it out. I love the difference in the scoring on the theme. So right away, I found myself like, okay, I'm willing to give this a try. It definitely hits the ground running in terms of production and plot, all the things they throw at you all at once. The Jabba's son being kidnapped thing and the war going on. Just, it's a lot all at once. And I think in that regard, having those two other episodes to watch beforehand kind of made me a little bit more patient to this film in a way, because I understood the clones a little better. I understood what was going on with Anakin and Obi-Wan. I felt a little bit more at ease starting the film with the background. I get that. They really did an excellent job of making the two previous episodes we watched feel like they could be continuous with this movie in a way that they all still operate independently. Now, speaking of operating independently, I unfortunately have a negative about this film right away, and that is that the first 30 minutes or 25 minutes or so really do feel like an unrelated bit of film. Now, I understand that Star Wars is kind of famous for that. That very 30 minutes opening has nothing to do with the rest of the film in some ways. But in this instance, I felt like the introduction of everybody's favorite new Padawan just didn't super connect with the next part, but I did find myself eager to absorb all of it. I think because the cast is so small and 
Most of the episode and the sequence of action is Anakin and Ahsoka working together. It made it, I hesitate to say it was slower, but it definitely felt like a lot less when it's only two characters playing off of each other. And I loved their dynamic because so much of the Star Wars universe is sort of that like straight man, funny man, and eternally Anakin is like the whiny straight man, so I get it. But one of the things about Anakin is we're supposed to be seeing him come of age in the film. And here, I did feel like this was a great opportunity to see him have come of age and see someone else in turn take that learning role. I think this is the first time I've ever seen Anakin or Vader, for that matter, as a teacher. Oh, for sure. I am not sure how this is making me feel about his characterization overall. The last time that we saw his character in something that was now canon was the end of Attack of the Clones, where he still got his short hair, and he and Padme just got married, and he's still kind of a whiny 19-year-old. So I'm not sure how I feel about him being put into this more adult role so quickly after that at the start of the Clone War, but I'm interested to see how it colors my reaction to his ultimate fall to the dark side. And speaking of that transitionary phase that we see Anakin in... Ahsoka has kind of like a quick-ass trial by fire. I appreciate the speed of the battle that she finds herself in in the beginning of the film alongside Annie. But once she's bringing down that wall around him and he goes right through the hole, I'm like, ah, well, this is going to be referenced nonstop. And I thought it was cute because it kind of feels like every Jedi gets that really cool early on moment that shows their incredible prowess, whether it's Anakin light speeding as a kid or it's Luke launching those blasts at the Death Star, we need something that tells us, yo, this Jedi's a badass. And I appreciated getting it with her right away. It's just that sliding scale where I'm never sure how powerful people are supposed to be with the Force. Yeah, it's hard to tell if she's incredibly powerful or if it's just people are inherently more powerful when it's a cartoon universe because it's so much easier to make people more powerful. I'm not really sure what to make of that either. What I can say for certain is that Ahsoka lends a credibility to the Star Wars universe that I feel it's never had. I feel like all of the Jedi, pretty much with the exception of Yoda, that I've ever seen are either sassy Obi-Wans, and you know what? I feel like Dooku was like the shitty side of of sassy Obi-Wan, right? Or they're just painfully dutiful. And I feel like Jedi Princess A over here just wasn't having that. She wants to be herself, and that matters to me. I feel like she is the first realistic audience character in the Star Wars universe since Luke himself. There hasn't really been anyone like that in the prequels because Anakin Skywalker isn't really an audience character. We know what the ultimate end of his story is, so he can't really be the audience character. He's the lead of this branch of the saga, and it's his story, but that's not really the same as a character that the audience can identify with and i think that's more what we get with ahsoka and as we're talking about it i am realizing why this first installment being like a 25 minute segment actually is better i would have feared that they would have turned her introduction into a full film when there really isn't enough plot here to make this longer than it is i think the transition to the second act which is the remaining three-fourths of the film feels a little bit more like a singular narrative and i like how they were able to make this matter in an interesting way i didn't feel like this was oh this is just some shoe 
shoehorned story. This didn't feel like an attempt to sell action figures. This felt like an attempt to develop character narrative outside of the films. George, as we have said on more than one occasion, is a brilliant filmmaker, but becomes so focused on the things he cares about in Star Wars. As the creator, that's his right. But as fans, we find ourselves clamoring for the next thing. I really agree with everything you're saying, and I think that's why it was even important when the Clone Wars started telling these non-linear narrative stories to do stories set before this point to show more of the siege on Christophsis so it wasn't just this footnote from the Clone Wars movie. And the siege on Christmas really does sort of set the tone. Like, everything about this is a siege, a battle, a reclamation of land. That was something that I've enjoyed. You know, we've talked about episode 216, episode 116, and now a quarter of the film. And I, yeah, I guess this is the most warish Star Wars ever is. Star Wars is called Star Wars, but we don't ever really see the war. We see skirmishes. We see battles. But up through now, we haven't really been in the shit. And now we're kind of in the shit. And... I think giving me that, that no, Anakin really is a war guy now. He really is a captain or a commander or a general. General. Okay, yeah, he's a baby little general. I don't know if he's a general, but that's definitely one of the terms they use. But yeah. Here comes the general to kill some younglings. I'd say something pithy, like, you're never going to let this go. But like, now he killed a bunch of kids. Alexander Hamilton. Because he's Annie. Okay, well, that was an Annie. Oops. So once Annie Oops and Snips get on their way, I want to talk about Snips for a second, though. Is that going to be her nickname for the entire rest of the series? Did he give her a nickname because she's kind of snippy? That's weird. Oh, I thought it was because she had like hair snips. I, what does that mean? Like her big, her, her, her hairy dangles. Is that hair? Or is that head? I don't know. Oh my God. Is that like where her brains go? All right. Well, probably not where her brains go. Okay. Well, all right. I can live with it. So once things get going, I get the thing I never knew I needed. When Baby Yoda happened, suddenly everyone was like, oh, but look at this design for Baby Jabba. And I was like, give me that baby hut. And I thought to myself, I'll never get a baby hut. I'll never get this whole thing is about a baby hut. And I don't think my heart was ready to be all about a baby hut. But here we are. We met quite a number of huts. We have Jabba. We have a little baby hut. And then uh, there's Zero the hut. Oh, hut Capote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is quite certainly hut bosexual. I don't, I don't know what to do with him. And I actually thought he was a woman at first. So I was really thrown when I realized he was a horrendous gay stereotype. But back to the beginning of this part of the story, the Jabba stuff really does feel so distracting from how it starts. It kind of makes me feel in some way that some part of the Jabba stuff was moved into that first 30 minute chunk. I get that they wanted to make an event out of these four episodes, but without a more interwoven story, I do feel like that beginning just kind of dangles there for a minute. However, there is some incredible sibling connection between Annie and Snips right away that I really liked. I don't feel like I can see them romantic at this point. No, I don't think that I would be interested in seeing that either. I can see how someone might want it or might go for it, but I don't see that and I don't need it. So I like that they're not trying to foist a romance on me. I think there's more sexual chemistry between Obi-Wan and Ventress. Oh yeah, that's totally there. 
they're clearly trying to build a bond and narrative between the two characters. Anakin saying, I know you'd get here eventually, and Ahsoka saying, always in time to save your life. I can't imagine that's not going to come up again between the two of them, either positively or tragically. But, you know, I think they're doing a good job of building a camaraderie between the two characters. And it's a camaraderie that shares an inherent competition. And I feel like competition is something that drives the Skywalkers. And it's kind of important to remember, you know, Luke kind of has a playful competition personality. And he likes to be playful with Han and Leia is kind of like, bitch, don't you even. And I do feel like all of the Skywalkers have that sense of fun. So giving it to Annie here was really important and giving him someone that I can reason see fucking him up you know this character she's introduced in this film and i think she might be the character not from a film that appears in the most canon probably speaking of characters from the film canon i was really annoyed by splitting obi-wan off right away i want obi-wan and anakin to have time together i need to care when he's like you were the chosen one i need to care for that Yeah, I have heard that we will get more of them together. I'm really hoping that that is the case because I completely agree with what you're saying. It's hard to care about that part of the narrative without having seen much of their bond be developed. Uh, There's still the whole era pre-Attack of the Clones that hasn't really been developed. I think they're going for it a little bit in the comics right now. I don't know if that's a part of their lives I'm necessarily interested in seeing, though. I feel like there's not a lot there. That would be like, I I don't know, like that feels like baby Jedi stuff. And I'm just as happy to watch those cute little rolly BB-8 Disney cartoons for baby Jedi stuff. Oh, totally. So I don't really need to see that. Like, that's kind of like Jedi babies. Like, I mean, I would watch it. I would because it'd be adorable. But I'd rather watch it as Jedi babies than some sort of actual drama narrative. You know, the Muppet Babies did Star Wars so much, we could just cut clips of that into this. I was obsessed with those episodes. Who wouldn't be? I have that mental image of Kermit swinging like Indiana Jones permanently burned in my brain from the theme song. It's so funny, actually, thinking about it. Muppet Babies used to be this thing that people were like, no, no one can ever re-release it because of all of the different owners. But, like, Disney owns all of it now. They own the Muppets, Star Wars, and Marvel, which was the animation studio that produced Muppet Babies in the 80s. So, at one point, this thing could have never been re-released, and now it actually could. Put original Muppet Babies on Disney+. Plus. So we talked a little bit about Sassy Obi-Wan, and I love Sassy Obi-Wan. Sassy Wan is totally my Jedi. But I just, there's something weird about the way the droids are sassy in this movie. Like, when the droid falls to its death and it's like, why? Uh, I don't need it. I mean, it makes me giggle. I don't know how I feel about it, though. It's giving these droid soldiers a lot of personality. Are we supposed to feel bad about them when they get shot now, too? What would I, I, I don't I don't know what game they're playing at. Well, and I think that game is actually part of my next set of notes. I specifically loved Rex as a focus clone, especially because we understood who he was from 116 and 216. I feel like giving Rex as a focus clone created a context for caring about the clones. And I wonder if they were like, well, let's give you a context for caring about the droids as well. Mm, maybe. Or it was just to make kids laugh. You know what wasn't to make kids laugh, though? Those fucking heads in that bucket. 
I could not believe that moment. That was heavier than anything I've even seen, I think, in Star Wars. And that was actually shocking for me. You actually were like, rewind, because I think you missed that. And I was like, oh, I'm sure those weren't heads. No, the the original bounty hunters that Jabba sent out were returned in pieces. And, you know, that severity really works for the story. And specifically, this different score really works for the story. Based on this depth of visual power, the complexities of the narrative they were telling, female Jedi, I would have really been into this, but I would have been probably even more shocked back then by just how daring they were being with their narrative. Absolutely. They definitely wanted to play both sides of light and dark with this. And speaking of both sides and dark, I just don't care about Dooku. He is not a compelling villain. He is just a generic old white bad guy. And like, there's nothing even that interesting about the character here. I find him too smart, too prepared. And it's not that I don't think a Sith can be those things. It's not that I don't think evil is powerful. It's that Dooku has an answer for everything in sort of like a Lorelai Gilmore way. But if Lorelai Gilmore was the bad guy of the Gilmores, you wouldn't like her. Yeah, there's something about the way that things just always work out for Count Dooku. Like when Jabba wants proof that the Jedis are against him and he's like, you'll have it. And then just happens to get video of Anakin saying he hates huts. Like, what the fuck is your actual luck? He's like the villain embodiment of the annoying elderly white patriarchy who gets away with everything. And I don't think it's hit hard enough that, like, this is going to sound so stupid, but I don't think it's hit hard enough that he's the bad guy. <laughs> like, they just constantly sh- He's just sort of like this figure looming. And, like, he just has all the answers. For me, the bad guy that killed it in this was Ventress. The Ventress scenes played out clearly, quickly. They helped shape her narrative. To me, she's as much in charge as Dooku is, even though she works for Dooku. Comparing the two of them, there's really no question. I think Dooku kind of lucks into shit, and it l- works out okay for him. But Ventress earns her place. I also thought it was an interesting choice to simply introduce her into the narrative. No questions answered. They're just sort of, oh, Ventress is here. Because, you know, as we've said, they're going to go through and invalidate so much of the first Clone Wars animated series. They're not really related. But you were already introduced to the character as a concept And much in the way that many things from Star Wars Legends are still being blessed as canon by new Disney stories, they were sort of like, yeah, that's 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 let's let's go with that's generally how they came to know Ventress and move along from there. And why not until we have time to get more answers? Speaking of answers, I have a question. Why wasn't this movie just called Droids vs. Clones? Why wasn't it called The Droid War? I don't know. Yeah, or like the Great Separatist Divide? I guess because there is something so inherently intense about breeding soldier stock from clones that, like, what else can you call it? And in that regard, I feel like we like the clones in a way that we don't really care about the droid army. And that makes sense. You know, the droid army is meant to be a bit more ironically faceless. But one of the things that I've noticed watching Star Wars is the bad guys are always so much greater than the good guys in every matchup. That's like a huge thing. No matter how great the good guy is, the bad guy somehow has unbelievably more power. And for that reason, I was glad that they never tried to get me to buy that Ahsoka versus Ventress was going to be any kind of battle. 
That would have been so fucking silly. When Ventress comes upon them, if Ahsoka had been able to hold her own, I would have been so annoyed. And that feels like something they might have tried to do in like 1995. I'm not saying we'll never get a battle between those two characters, but specifically they would have pitted the two female force wielders against each other. And Ahsoka would have, if not defeated Ventress, come out unscathed and like she she's she's basically still a youngling as as anakin frequently points out that would have perhaps been too much and it would have given the character nowhere to go especially because this is the introduction to see ventress beaten by a child would have made ventress seem kind of dumb it would have made this young padawan seem illogically strong i would have then wondered how obi-wan struggles against ventress like in that scene later on when she attacks him with her skirt Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before we can get to that, I just need to, I actually turned to Kevo and I was like, Kevo, when did R2 get rocket blasters? I hate them so much. And I had to point out that it happened in the goddamn movie. I really don't like them. It's a weird choice considering the things he's limited by in the original Star Wars trilogy. Perhaps the, his rockets could have fallen into disrepair over 19 years. Who knows? It's a lot. I really don't like that Ahsoka calls him Artui. Is she going to cute eyes everything? Well, speaking of cute eyes, she actually has Lil Baby Hut this whole time. Annie and Ahsoka have Jabba's son and are caring for him and trying to get him home the entire time. Dooku is making it seem like they are running a counter mission. And I feel like there's some amount of making the kids babysit to that that I don't love. Some amount of adventures in babysitting. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like it's a little it's a little funny because they wanted to show us a young strong female Jedi and the way they did it was by making her motherly. Yeah, but at the same time is that not reducing the importance and urgency of a mission like Jabba the Hutt's son is kidnapped, you know? Well, that brings me to something you brought up while we were watching it. Talking about how where did R2's blasters go in the original trilogy because they were there in the prequels, how in God's fucking name did none of this Skywalker shit come up in Return of the Jedi for Jabba? It's not impossible, but the more stuff that Anakin Skywalker does and the more shit he fucks up in Luke's daily life, the more I do have to question, like... No one noticed that there was someone named Luke Skywalker living on Tatooine for 19 years. That's kind of a glaring hole in Star Wars that I don't know if there's any way anyone can ever rectify. But there were still a lot of beautiful attention to detail in ways that made me smile. I kind of thought there was this 20 seconds that for a minute I was like, what a dumb waste of my time. When Annie's like, get the ship going and the ship doesn't start working and then R2 has to make it work. You know what? That's more of that technology is still important to who Anakin is at this point in his development that I commented on loving in the previous two episodes. So seeing Anakin still be super duper hardcore technology, that did help me a lot. Of course, the next scene killing a whole bunch of people was shocking. Well, yes. The attempt to get the ship aboard a larger ship initially fails, leading to Anakin and Ahsoka crash landing, which, according to Ahsoka, isn't a landing. It's a crash. Oh my god, I forgot about the part where they crashed throughout through the ship. Yeah. Yeah, that probably killed a lot of people. Anakin laughs when he kills people in space. 
And who can blame him? It's funny that no one can hear it. At this point, I find myself excited that it's kind of coming to a conclusion because I remember turning to Kevin and being like, there's 20 minutes left. How is this going to wrap up? And the way they wrap it up is by bringing in, finally, Zero and Padme? Oh my god, it took forever for her to show up in this. And I don't know if she's going to be in a lot or a little, but I realized at one point in this movie that, like, her and Anakin are fucking married. Uh... You know, we were just talking about how, because there's this whole thing where Rogue is currently a major player in the comic Excalibur, and Gambit, her husband, is just kind of hanging around in the book. He's got nothing to do. I don't need him every issue. Same thing with... On Superstore, there's this big thing where it seems like America Ferrera might be leaving the show. And I don't want that to mean that her stories are all written out. Like, I want her other characters to remain, but, like, I don't want her to have to break up with her love interest. So maybe she can just support from afar, right? I feel like Padme, though, she's not Gambit, right? I need her in a bigger position. I need lots of Padme. Padme. Especially after seeing what she could do in the Gendy Clone Wars animated series. I really want to see more of that. We've seen Padme throw herself into the action and we're in the middle of a war. So I'd really like to see her be a more active part of it. And her activity in this short bit she's in is so major. She figures out Zero's the problem. She attempts to stop him. Doesn't go so well. She gets rescued by 3PO. And I found it all kind of rushed. However, I did think the other side of it, the resolution of the Anakin having to get back to save Ahsoka, that that whole Dooku standoff, not to get too far ahead of myself, the Anakin-Dooku standoff reminded me a lot of the standoff at the end of Mandalorian, where there's this incredibly calm bad guy who's like, ha and the good guy's like, I gotta run to save a child. Oh my god, yeah. And then there's a third person in the desert who's trying to protect the child on their own, but they can't get to them. Like, there were so many parallels that Filoni found to create in Mando season one's finale that sort of mirrored this movie in a way that made me appreciate both of them a lot more. I totally see that, and I love that as well. I love that Count Dooku thinks he murdered a child, and when he finds out that it's a bunch of rocks, his response to Anakin is, I expected such treachery from a Jedi. That's literally the Star Wars equivalent of so much for the tolerant left. Like, it's ridiculous that he's accusing a Jedi of treachery while he's in the middle of this plot to make it look like Anakin's the one who killed the baby he just killed. Fucking ridiculous. You tricked me into not killing a baby. You're the worst. Yes, literally. It is remarkably stupid. I also thought Zero just being kind of like, oh, I'm caught. Oh, <laughs> I have to go get fisted. Like, I just thought that was a little too... It was Count Dooku. What? It was... I would have preferred Jar Jar. Like, Jar Jar as Miss Marple solving this would have been just as much fun as Zero being like... I'm not sure I agree, but I'm open to it. So 
I actually loved this, and I find myself excited to watch more. We're still using the George Lucas and Lucasfilm approved canonical watch order. So next we're going to be taking a look at episode 3-1 and 3-3 before diving into the first proper season. And I'll be honest, that's maybe got me a little down. I like really want to watch season one, but I just loved these characters. I loved getting to see Obi-Wan, who's like one of my favorite Jedi ever more. And if I can't have Rey, I'll take Ahsoka. Yeah, I'm excited to see her journey and development and excited to see more of this interpretation of the characters and where they go with things. And Kevo, until we return to this galaxy far, far away, somewhere in the middle of an animated series, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or on the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys, as always, can find me all over this amazing network on Mondays and Thursdays covering the X-Men over on X's for Podcast, whether it's 80s Mutant Mania on Thursdays or We Are Krakoa Mondays. We take a look at the X-Universe from the past to the present. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or my web portal, WeAreKrakoa.com, as well as Kevin and my super cool, super inclusive comic, Kid Riot, over at KidRiotComics.com. And guys, until we return, keep those kyber crystals burning. May the force be with you, and also with your force ghost.